0: Let's remember to hang on to Jesus this season. Uh, As much as it has become a cliche, it's still truth, even though it is a cliche. Jesus is the reason for the season. There's no reason for this season without Jesus. It is the time we've set aside. And yes, if somebody asked me, do you think he was born on December 25th, I'd say it's highly unlikely. Uh, But nonetheless, what a wonderful time for us to set aside to celebrate the coming of, of our Savior. And so we've been on this topic of Advent. I don't think I've ever preached on the, the vocal points of Advent, which is crazy. It ought to be the you know first thing you might go to. So we, we talked about peace and we've talked about hope. And and Advent is, in a sense, Advent's not a spiritual word. It just means coming or arrival. So if you've got some family members that you're looking forward to their coming, that is an Advent. You You're looking forward to their Advent, to their coming, to their arrival. And the most Christian thing about it is that Uh, Advent is the coming of Jesus in the Incarnation. Now, Incarnation is not a word we use a lot, so it means to be embodied or to become human. So God, according to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, wrapped himself in human flesh, and we beheld the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and it's a wonderful time of year to celebrate that. So Jesus, God clothed himself in in a body and was born through Mary. And at most of you probably know the Christmas story, and his name is Jesus. Also, he said he would be called Emmanuel. Remember what Emmanuel means: God with us. So, on this third Sunday of Advent, the focal point is joy. Joy. Uh, we sing about it: "Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king." So, we joy is is Christmas all about joy, and in fact. That's what we'll talk about today, Christmas joy. When it comes to joy, uh, God's all in. So Christmas joy, joy is the focus of our our topic today. And God loves joy, he creates joy, he makes joy, he gives joy to his people. It is an amazing thing with God. But not everything is joyful. You all know that, right? I mean, there's a real world around us, and not everything is joyful. I was just reflecting back on, on this year. On January 1st of this year, uh, my brother went on to be with the Lord. It was not joyful for us on this side of heaven. He was a wonderful, godly man. Uh, he loved Jesus. Uh, he was a good friend. He was a great big brother. Uh, he was the best man at my wedding, and he's with Jesus. I know he's not bothered by that at all. He's very happy to be with Jesus, but he should have had, in my opinion on this side of eternity, some few more years, all things being healthy and perfect and right in this world. And then about the end of summer, around August, um, uh, Darlene and I hopped on a jet. We flew to Phoenix, Arizona, to Mayo Clinic, where a very skilled and gifted surgeon drilled a hole in her skull and successfully, praise the Lord, successfully fixed a problem in her face that eliminated this excruciating pain that she was having. So not everything's always a joyful event. And just this past week, just this past week, uh, Darlene, and those of you know know Gary and, and Wayne, they're all related. This past week, just a few days ago, uh, Darlene's youngest brother was found dead, and we're going to be at a showing today and a funeral tomorrow. I mean, the pain and hurt of that is still fresh. It's, it's still, you know, boiling there. And everything's not always perfect. Everything's not always joyful. We get that. We, we do know this, don't we? This is not heaven. This is not heaven. We do have a wonderful world, and by the way, I'm not encouraging you to think, oh my goodness, I guess lots of bad stuff has to happen to me. No, no, it doesn't. I, I remember this, and I've shared it with you before. There was a time where I would uh, have periods where just everything was wonderful, and I would think to myself, oh my goodness, everything can't stay wonderful. Something bad has to happen. And I told myself this, because I believe it's scriptural, no it doesn't. So if you're one of those people who worry when there's nothing to worry about, you know, stop that. You can stop that. You can say, no, there's nothing in Scripture that says, oh, I have to have a dose of misery this year or this week. No, but we do know it's a hurting, broken world, and everything isn't joyful. In Isaiah, the Old Testament, we see Isaiah the prophet dealing with this. In the Old Testament, a book named Isaiah bears his name, he starts writing about these prophetic things the Lord has shown him in the future. And by the way, Isaiah lived 700 plus years before Jesus, and uh, he wrote a lot of things about Jesus and his coming. But also, if you read through Isaiah, you will find some stuff. You will find a lot of chapters have this heading above them put there by the translators to show you what's the nuts and bolts of this chapter. And when you get to Isaiah, you'll find a lot of them start out with woe. Now, not woe like slow down, woe like this is bad. This is bad news. This is not good. But in the midst of all these woes woe unto Israel, woe unto the city of David, woe unto Judea, woe unto the nations, woe unto those who trust in Egypt all of a sudden up pops Isaiah 35. And it's amazing. Just, I'm just going to pull three verses out of that. Let's throw that up there Isaiah 35. It says, even the wilderness and the desert shall be glad in those days. Now, there's all this whoa, 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 and then God comes on the scene because he wants you to know it ain't always going to stay bad. If you're in a bad spot, you're going to get through that. It says, the wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers, an abundance of singing, and an abundance of what? Joy. There will be an abundance of joy. Joy. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear. Can I hear an amen about that? Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with what? Joy and gladness. Be filled with joy and gladness. So God's saying, hey, even in the midst of some of the stuff that's going on in this hurting and broken world, I want you to know my final destiny for you is not sorrow, it's not mourning, it's not sadness, but rather it's singing and it's joy and it's happiness and it's peace and it's hope. It's just a beacon. It's just like God says, hey, lest these who read Isaiah become too depressed with what's going on, let me tell you about the future end that I see for all of you. There's an amazing line in the Lord of the Rings... Um, Return of the King. And I don't think it's in the movie, but it's in the book. And by the way, for those who may have watched Lord of the Rings and thought, why would you mention Lord of the Rings in church? I do want you to know this. J.R.R. Tolkien was a a super committed believer who was a best friend with C.S. Lewis, not just acquaintances, best friends. And C.S. Lewis is famous for The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I will admit that if you watch The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, Lewis has a very thin veil over his symbolism. You can see that. I remember as a kid, I watched a full-length cartoon on the... Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I went, he's talking about Jesus. I got excited while I was watching that, because it's just on secular TV. I just turned on TV and saw a cartoon, and I was watching it, and said, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about good triumphing over evil, and you you could see that. Now, you watch J.R.R. Tolkien's and the the trilogy, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and you might say, "Uh, okay, it's a little harder to see, but it is a story about Christianity and about good triumphing over evil and about the Savior of the world." and it's uh, amazing, amazing material. Well, in, this, in the book, there's this uh, scene where uh, this one guy has been the battle with his buddy, and he's beat up, and so he's gone back for a recuperation, and he's been sleeping, and he thinks that everything he has experienced is a dream. But then when he wakes up, he realizes this is not a dream. This actually happened. And so this guy we call Sam or Samwise, he begins to speak, and he says, uh, he sees Gandalf, which he was sure was dead, because last time he saw, Gandalf fell into an abyss fighting evil, and he was dead. But when he wakes up, he sees Gandalf, and he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But I thought I was dead too. He said, is everything sad going to come untrue? Ooh, I think that one line, at least from a Christian perspective, deserves a literary award of some kind. Let that sink in. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes. Yes. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What happened to the world? And Gandalf said, a great shadow has departed. As we look at the Christmas season, that kind of speaks to that. Jesus shows up on the scene. And all of a sudden, there's a break in the spiritual dimension of what's going on in the world and in the heavenlies. And he shows up. Now, I believe that line best fits his second coming, but the first coming begins this journey where everything sad is going to become untrue. And a great shadow, a great darkness has departed. That's the beauty of the Christmas story. So I I want you to let that sink into you, that everything sad is going to come untrue. As we think about our losses, we think about our hurt, as we think about heartache, I want you to know, everything sad one day is going to come untrue. And so the Christmas message isn't one of doom and gloom, it's one of joy, joy, joy. God's super into joy. And so these, these angels show up, actually is a angel, an angel shows up to uh, these shepherds, you remember the story, don't you? Most people are familiar with the Christmas story. This angel shows up to the shepherds and angels were often used in scripture, not always, but often used for punishment or judgment or agents of God's wrath. And by the way, the scripture says that any time God pours out his wrath, it is justifiable justice. And has, from our perspective, probably we thought it should have been done a long time ago, but the, God's loving and long-suffering. And so an angel shows up, and the first words out of their mouth to the shepherds is not doom and gloom. It's not woe. It's don't be afraid. Do not fear. They show up and say, do not fear. We're not here to punish. We're not here to judge. We're here to give you some good news. So you're probably familiar with the the verse in in Luke chapter 2, 10 through 11. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, behold's a great big word. I'll mention that a little bit later. For behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. Not just joy, great joy. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, I love God. He's, he's amazing on so many levels and for so many reasons. One of the things, one of the many things I like about him is he always goes wide, and then he goes narrow. He gets very general and then very specific. Look at what he says here. He says, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people, to everyone, globally. Everyone who has ever lived, everyone who ever will live, this is great joy for them. But then he makes it personal. He looks at these shepherds and he says, for unto you, you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I love how God includes everyone, and then he gets very personal. We've got John 3.16, for God's love of the world. Then we have Romans 10, that if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, then you shall be saved. Broad and specific. That's one of the many beautiful things about God. So the angel comes up on the scene and says, hey, relax, chill out, take a break, take a breath. You know, I'm not here to punish. I'm here to bring you good news of great joy. And two things happen from this. The good news does just that. The good news brings great joy. That's the first thing. The second thing is that this news is for you. It's good news that brings great joy, and it's for you. It's for everyone. It's for the Jew and the Gentile. It's for the king and the peasant. It's for the billionaire and the beggar. It, it's, it's for the missionary and the murderer. It's for the, the righteous and the riffraff. It's, it's for everyone. This message is for everyone. So if you're here today and you kind of feel like you're spiritually or morally messed up or broken, Jesus is saying, my sights are on you. I welcome you in. You can come on in. The the shepherds are saying, look what's happened to us. The Lord has brought us a Savior, a Messiah, a Christ, the Anointed One. It's interesting because I can tell you this clearly. We are so addicted to self. Even believers still struggle with self. I, I don't care how, how mature you are in the Lord. Self is probably still a struggle in your life. But before we know Christ, self and sin is what we're addicted to. And the only thing that's going to free us is this cosmic search and rescue mission that Jesus goes on. He's like Alpha One in the, in the operation. He's, it takes that to free us from our self and free us from our sin. And so I, I want you to, to hear, behold, behold. The big word, behold. My son, Mitch, was at church at Cross Point in Nashville, Tennessee. Last Sunday, he told me, he said, he was talking about the the minister, talking about the word behold and what a big word it was. That always intrigues me. So I looked up and studied behold this week and and thought, wow, that really is a big word. Like most words are in English or Hebrew or Greek. When you really look at a word, they're big words. And so the angel comes and says, behold. Well, I want us to behold something as well. Now, behold isn't just you know a teacher, a lecturer, a pastor. We may be talking and say, hey, listen here, and then we move right on. But behold is bigger than that. Behold says, I need your attention because what's coming up after this is so important, I don't want you to miss it. So behold would be like me getting up here saying, hey, everyone, do I have your attention? You know, if if you're trying to act like you're reading the Bible and you're paying Candy Crush, stop. If you got your notepad out, looks like you're taking notes, but you're really doing your Christmas shopping list on there. Stop. If your mind's wandering to yourself, I wonder where I'm going to eat lunch today. Stop. You know, focus, everyone, focus. I want to give you some. I want you to look and focus. Here's something to behold. In Acts chapter two, thirty-six, God says this by the power of the Holy Spirit, writing through the men of God. He says this, this Christ that you have crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. I want you to hear that, Lord and Christ. Christ means anointed one or Messiah or or Lord, uh, Savior. And so we look at that and say, well, what's the big deal about that? I thought those were interchangeable things. I mean, he's made both Lord and Christ. Well, let me tell you, here's what I want you to behold. There's a lot of people who are really interested in Jesus being their savior. They want saved from their sins. They want saved from their guilt. They want saved from their punishment. What they don't want Jesus to be is their Lord because they love to be saved from their sins and saved from punishment, but they don't want God messing with their life. When it comes to doing life, I just want to do me. I just want to live life on my own terms. I want to do life the way I want to do life. So they're saying, yes to Savior, no to Lord. But Acts chapter 2, 36, and challenges us, make him both Savior and Lord. Make him both. You, you don't hold him at arm's length. You invite him in. So we want to be forgiven. We want to be alleviated from any punishment. But Jesus, we say, I don't want you to mess with my life. I mean, I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want, where I want. That's how I want to do life. And so don't mess with my life. But Jesus is a master, messer, and meddler. If you allow him, he will come in. But what ends up happening is you end up having more life than you ever dreamed you could have. Because Jesus isn't out there to steal anything from you. There's nothing you have that he has to have. There's nothing you have that if he needed it and didn't have it, he couldn't make it. So he's not trying to steal anything from us. What we find is we get a glimpse into Jesus' own words in John 10.10. 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. And have it to the fullest measure. Have it overflowing. Have it in abundance. And so Jesus is a giver of life, and he wants us to step into life. So he's not trying to steal anything when he says, I want to be your Lord. Because Jesus wants you not to just be saved from the guilt of sin. He wants you to be saved from sin's power he doesn't want you just to be pardoned he wants you to be empowered not just pardoned but transformed and so that's the goal of we want jesus to be both savior and lord when we look at both of those aspects in this christmas season we're talking about joy we say well if we're talking about joy and that's kind of cool and we're talking about you know when we think of joy we think of happiness and celebration and all those things which god's totally into I may be off about this, but I think there was like seven major feasts of the Jewish people and six of them were celebrations. Get that? Six out of seven were celebrations. Only one was a solemn feast for reflection and looking inward. The rest were celebrations. And so God's really into celebration, really into joy. And so when we look at Christmas, we go, okay, Tracy, I was thinking joy and happiness and excitement, but then you you got kind of heavy on me there, like he wants to be Lord, and I don't know, that's kind of a weighty matter. So now I get confused about Christmas. It seems to have this dual personality. It seems to be, you know, somber and reflective, and then it seems to be on another side, it's supposed to be happy and joyful. And sometimes people do come to church, and everything's just so solemn and so serious first of all i want us to know we take very serious the lordship of jesus and the gospel message but i also want us to know that we know how to have joy how to be happy how to celebrate it i never forgot this i heard one time the gospel is good news preached glad not bad news preached mad i don't know if you ever heard a preacher you think he's mad at somebody i don't know who it is but it seemed like the the gospel wasn't good news it's bad news preached mad it's good news preached glad so we look and say well what is i mean i come to church and and maybe there's candles and there's solemn stuff and there's it's actually a beautiful song but it's kind of in a minor keys and it's real oh come oh come amen you know that song it's kind of oh, very solemn and then i go out in the world and I go to work and I go to school and I go into my neighborhood and there's trees and there's lights and there's Santas and there's festivities and there's buffets and feasts and, and there's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and, and uh, Frosty the Snowman, you know, what is it? Well, in Jesus, it really is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's both of those things. And so Christians should, we should radiate the joy of this season more than anyone else. In fact, I I think about this and I think how dare the world think they can out-celebrate us believers. We need to be big, big believers. We need to celebrate those things. It doesn't need to be archaic and sad and mournful. It needs to be celebratory. You know, we've even done that to communion. You'll hear me mention this at times. We've taken communion. We've turned it into a, a sorrowful, solemn mass and we're just so we're thinking about Jesus because Jesus told us to remember him. But I'll tell you what, I don't think he was saying, hey, I want you guys not to forget how rough it was on me. I want you to remember the beatings. I want you to remember the scourging. I want you to remember the cross. I want you to remember that. Apparently, the early church didn't look at it that way because when they got together to celebrate, it was a feast. It was a celebration. It was a joy. I think Jesus was saying, I want you to remember me and what I did for you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were without God and without hope in the world. But I came on the scene and I liberated you and brought you freedom. I believe that's what Jesus is saying when he talks about remembering him. Because I know this, that when all we focus on is celebration like the world would celebrate, by the way, I'm all for celebration, so don't think I'm trying to unravel celebration. We are joyful people. But when we celebrate and it's all focused and dependent just upon how the world likes to celebrate, then it's shallow and it's hollow. I don't know, some people say, wow, well, you know, we're going to have an office party this week and it's going to be awesome, the booze is going to be flowing and this is going to happen. And the world thinks that's a wonderful way to celebrate. And oftentimes people drink way too much. And I remember in college I had a roommate who drank way too much and, uh, you know, I had to listen to him throwing up all night long. And uh, he, he said this as he would cry out every time he would throw up in the garbage bag. He'd say, I'm never going to do this again. And uh, much to his credit, he never did that again. It must have been miserable <laughs> enough that he never did that again. And then you say, oh, that's a great night of celebration, uh, but don't say anything. My head's killing me and I have a hangover. I don't know about you, that doesn't seem very celebratory to me. You know, the world has the idea that, that immorality is, is where the real fun is. But I was thinking about this the other day. Even the world kind of knows better than that. Darlene and I have a friend. She loves the Lord. She's been going after God for decades now. But she said in her younger days, she would go to these office parties and everything and said she would wake up, she would drink too much. She'd wake up the next morning in bed with somebody she didn't even remember, didn't even know their name. And I thought, you know, it's interesting how... Even in the world, you'll see some guy or some gal slinking out of a home, you know, getting away, putting on their clothes, and, and, and they start walking down the apartment hallway or onto the sidewalk to their car. And you know what the world calls that? The walk of shame. The walk of, even the world calls it that. The walk of shame. So I'm just challenging this. We don't, we don't celebrate like the world celebrates. We celebrate differently. If you say, man, I've done all that stuff you've mentioned and more, that's okay. Jesus is inviting you in. He's inviting transformation. He wants to be Lord. He doesn't want, just as I said, He doesn't want you just to be free from the guilt of sin. He wants you to be free from the power of sin. So all of a sudden, you begin to celebrate differently. Because when you celebrate only like the world celebrates, I can tell you what, you wake up on December 26, exhausted with a hangover, saddened, and you just kind of waddle into the grayness of January. But if you celebrate with Christian joy, with Christian celebration, it's much weightier. It's much more durable. It's much more everlasting. You wake up on December 26th, and yes, rightfully so, you may be a a little tired from wholesome festivities, but you wake up on December 26th, and there's still joy in your heart. There's still a song on your lips. There's still praise in your being because our joy isn't fleeting. It isn't temporary. It isn't gone when the last package is unwrapped and the paper lands crumpled on the floor. Our joy isn't gone when the Christmas tree is packed up, put in the box, and slid back in the closet or taken out to the curb for the garbage man to pick up. Our joy isn't gone then. Our joy is like Isaiah uh, 35.10 that we talked about. earlier. We have an everlasting joy, which makes sense because our Father, he's an everlasting God. And he gives us everlasting life. And everlasting life turns into everlasting joy. I encourage you this season, let's let our lives be marked by joy. God's all for it. He's all in. Now you may say, hold it, you know, you mentioned some stuff you went through. I've gone through stuff, uh, maybe weightier things than you even went through this year. And how do I go through these tough times and have Christmas joy? Or maybe you're saying today, you know what, I'm not going through anything really right now. Things are great, but I still would like to have more Christmas joy. Well, we're going to talk about that, how to have Christmas joy. First, let's look forward to a future hope. First, we look forward to a future hope. If you're going through something, I want you to see the operative words there, going through. Even Psalm 23 says, yea, though I walk through walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me so we're going to go through it we're not going to set up camp there we're not going to build a house there we're not going to live there we're going to go through it and we're going to come out on the other side King David of, of David and Goliath fame he wrote in the Psalms this beautiful passage as everything around him was dire and, and bad or potentially to be bad he writes this in Psalm twenty seven thirteen. I would have lost heart I would have given up I would have despaired I would have threw in the towel unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not just somewhere in the great by and by, but here and now as well. Psalm 27, is such a word of encouragement. The second thing I want to encourage us to do is to draw near to God. James, the brother of Jesus, the earthly brother of Jesus, writes in James 4, 8, that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And then he gives a lot of instruction around there about how drawing near to God and what it's like. So I would really say jot down a note for yourself to read James 4, like 5 through 12, and and really see what all he's talking about. The psalmist says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's just something to speak over your life in a painful place. Lord, you're near to the brokenhearted, and you save those who are crushed in spirit. You're near to the brokenhearted, and you save those our Christian spirit. Also, when we draw near to the Lord, experience this: Psalm 16:11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Did you hear that? In your presence is fullness of joy. Now I will tell you: the world offers a temporary joy. The world offers a temporary fun time. The world offers temporary happiness. But I've discovered this about God. He is more concerned about you having a wonderful life than he is about you having a fun weekend. He's more concerned about your life being filled with life and filled with joy and filled with hope and filled with peace. That's where Jesus wants to take you to. So in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You say, well, how how are we going to, You know have this how do you do that how do you get in God's presence well again James 4 talks about that but also doing what you're doing right here today you're in the house of the Lord you said it is important enough for me to be in the house of the Lord that's one way of drawing near to him prayer times worship singing pondering on his greatness when I ponder and think about the greatness of God I feel near to him I just I get amazed by all kinds of stuff worship and praise draws me near to God I'm very serious about this you'll hear me speak about with regularity you you maybe you went to take a shower this morning and you turned on the water and there's this ever-ending flow of warm water that's a good time to say thank you Lord you know that that's not true in lots of places around the world lots of places around the world you're going to go to your refrigerator today and you're going to open up the door and there's going to be more than enough. That's a good time to say praise the Lord. And as you ponder that, you think about the goodness of God and it just seems near. A starry sky, you know, a moonlit night. I remember driving down the road very specifically. This is in my head. I'm driving down the road and I look at my hand and I go like this and I go, that's incredible. I said, God, you're, you're amazing. And I just felt near to God just to worship him and thank him for, for his creation having Bible study times, devotional times, spending time with the Lord, lots of different ways. And you're intelligent, wise people. You know how to draw near. But those are some things you can put into practice, and you can draw near. And what it will be is it won't be a temporary fleeting thing. It'll be an everlasting joy.